0: Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. In this episode, we break away from our usual entrepreneurial chit-chat and speak to Chris Humphrey, the Executive Director of EU Asian Business Council. Chris began his varied professional career as a UK civil servant where, among other things, he was a private secretary to a minister and an air services trade negotiator covering the Asian Pacific region. After leaving the government, Chris moved to the private sector, working initially in the government and external relations teams at two British airlines, before moving to Shanghai, China with Virgin Atlantic, where he headed up the airline's uh, China operation and oversaw the rapid expansion of their business in China. Chris has now been in Singapore for over a decade and has been running the EU Asian Business Council since its formal inception in 2014 where he has overseen a 325% increase in its membership and helped make the Business Council the foremost business body for the European industry in ASEAN. Without further ado, let's uh, get Chris to the show and ask him all things about the organization he helms and more. So hi Chris, Thank you for joining us today from
1: Singapore. Yeah. Hi, June. Thank you much for having me on. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: Awesome. Great. So um, we'll dive right into the question. So, OK, I, I, I did tell you uh, since this show has got a lot, a lot of American listeners, so they might be in the blur as into what ASEAN is. So if you could just give us a snippet, you know, I know it, it, and uh, it's something like the European Union, but, you know, what is really ASEAN for you? Can you just give us a, an explanation in a nutshell, please?
1: Yeah, sure. It's the, it's the Association of Southeast Asian Nations covering 10 countries here in Southeast Asia. Uh, not quite like the EU. It's a much uh, looser grouping. There's no supranational body for it, so they work very much by consensus. But they've been around now for... Uh, 56 years, I believe it is, and um, they cover a number of different areas, uh, political security, social, cultural, and prior design concerned, economic integration.
0: Awesome, great. So you have um, been, uh, you know, helming the EU um, ASEAN Business Council since 2014. So um, what does it do, basically? What's the, what, what does the organization do?
1: Well, we were set up really with one broad mission in mind, which was to improve the trade and investment relationship between Europe and Southeast Asia. Uh, So that means for European industry, our role really is to make the the business climate here better for them and enable them to invest more in the region, trade more with the region and generally help their their consumers and their employees and the communities that they work in.
0: Awesome, great. All right, so so the council is headed Um, basically the headquarters is in Singapore, right? Do they have um, other um, small bodies throughout the other Asian countries or is just one body? Uh,
1: So we're headquartered here in Singapore. We do have in our membership all of the European chambers of commerce that exist in Southeast Asia. So there are nine of those, one for each country except for Brunei. uh, And we work with them when it comes to dealing with local issues in each market
0: okay tell me a bit about the council like who who pays for the upkeep and how how does it work like do you get money from the european council in the in europe or how does how does the running the day-to-day running where do you get the money and stuff like that
1: absolutely we don't take any money at all from governments anywhere in the world Um, we are purely funded by our members which means by our multinational corporations who are our members there are 45 of those today some of the biggest household names you would know from european industry from a multitude of sectors, automotive, financial services, renewable energies, consumer goods, etc. So we'll be completely funded by our membership and through sponsorships and any event money that we manage to raise throughout the year. Okay, and so that, are you and that, means, that means we are completely independent of the European Commission or of European national governments or indeed governments here in Southeast Asia.
0: So are you um, basically... Um an NGO and in that sort, or um, uh, probably well, uh, what? You...
1: Officially, we're a, we're a registered society. We, we're a not-for-profit body, but yes, like you would describe us as a non-governmental organization.
0: Awesome. So, how many people are uh, with the EU Council? Like what um, the headcount of staff?
1: Well, we're a small, compact, and very hard-working unit. There, are, there are four of us here. You compared us to. Other longer established business councils, we are a very small team, but I think we punch way above our weight.
0: Okay, great. So, okay, so you said just now that you are funded by membership that you help uh, businesses, you know. Um, basically, it's European businesses who want to set a footprint in ASEAN countries. Is that correct?
1: Well, yes. Many of them have been here for, for many, many years. I mean, some of our members actually have been in the region for over a century already. So, they are pretty well established but they all still face problems around market access rules and regulations to trade. And our job is to basically help navigate those, those uh, issues.
0: Okay. So you help them with the nitty gritty of like what contracts um, or setting base uh, in a factory in XYZ country?
1: Uh, No, we really help them with advocacy work or trying to get changes in government rules and regulations to improve the, the investment and trading climate for them uh, trying to remove non-tariff barriers to trade um, get governments to be more open to external investment
0: awesome okay good. what are some of the challenges that um ASEAN, i mean eu countries are facing in doing business in asian countries today um especially now with COVID?
1: well i think COVID has brought a whole unique set of problems uh, for, for everybody in the region with their foreign firms or or local companies. Um, And obviously our hearts go out to um, everyone that's been adversely affected by it. Uh, The pandemic has had a massive impact on everyone's lives and their livelihoods, their mental health, and also of course on the economy. Um, And certainly last year at the height of the pandemic and all the lockdowns, our members and other companies were facing significant issues with their supply chains, with moving goods around the region, Uh, and of course, today still having lockdowns and preventing people from moving around the region as well. Uh, Beyond the pandemic, before the pandemic, there were issues around, particularly on market access, negative investment lists in much of the region. So certain parts of the economy were closed off to foreign investment or foreign investment heavily restricted. And then just the sheer range of non-tariff barriers for the movement of goods and services in the region. Um, So whilst the 10 ASEAN member states aspire to be a a, a combined, cohesive, um, highly integrated economic block, I'm afraid they're not. They have many different standards and rules that you need to abide by.
0: Okay, great. So, you did say there was a press release, I think, that uh, said that, you know, the number of investments from EU to ASEAN c- countries have fallen. Is that right? Or
1: am I? Uh, no, we've, traditionally, the EU has always been the largest source of foreign direct investment to, to ASEAN. Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, we, we have slipped down the ladder. Um, part of that is being been corrections in previous uh, monies that were coming in from elsewhere and they weren't being accounted for properly. But there has been a slackening off of investment from the EU to ASEAN. In fact, uh, I would say ASEAN as a whole has seen its FDI um, no better than flat and indeed from its various dialogue partners, you know, the EU, the US, Japan, um, and other big players, um, the money coming in has been actually on the on the wane over the last couple of years.
0: Do you have any figures like what was it before and what now how how much it's gone down?
1: Well, actually, last year the EU ended up being the second largest investor in the region, um, and the numbers overall are are pretty huge um, given our historic levels. So over the last few years, and over the last three or four years, investments from the EU, have been somewhere around 100 billion U.S. Um, dollars.
0: And, that and that's a drop, right? What was it before?
1: Uh, well, that's over the last four years. Uh, last year, actually, was an uptick. Uh, I think last year, we were up around about 20 billion U.S. dollars. And the year before, in fact, it was down to $16 billion. So it does go up and down. It does tend to be a bit cyclical. Um, and that, you know investments in companies are, can be quite lumpy at times when you're making very large investments for new factories.
0: Yeah, so who was number one? Are they the Americans? Uh,
1: Last year, I believe the number one was the United States, yes.
0: Awesome. Okay, great. All right, so um, um, you see, unlike the EU, many Asian countries are still underdeveloped. So do you see this as as a hindrance? Because you know you have to go through hoops and loops to get things done or are you used to that and you'll be able to, I mean, you're, you're able to get things done? Uh,
1: I think everybody doing business here in Southeast Asia, and that includes uh, local businesses as well, find there are a number of difficulties in navigating rules and regulations in each country. There are different testing standards, for instance, in the automotive sector between different parts of the region. Uh, it's also true for, for healthcare. care. The cosmetics um, and a whole different number of sectors. So everyone faces challenges and a lot of those challenges are down really just to navigating the differences and the subtleties between the rules and regulations in each country. That said, I mean I, I would always say this, Southeast Asia is um, a bright spot I think on the global economy. It's an area that's been showing pre-pandemic fantastic growth rates and those growth rates will return because the underlying fundamentals are still there It is a relatively young region, great urbanization rates, expanding middle classes, um, a very highly skilled and generally well-educated workforce as well. So it's a region that has lots of promise still. Um, Realizing that promise will depend upon the ASEAN member states, I think, working even closer and even more collaboratively with each other and trying to remove some of those barriers that exist between them.
0: Okay, you did say in uh, one of the press releases, that sparked this interview. I was interested because you said one of the main reasons for the region being unable to deliver on its promise on existing ideas. So has there been a lot of talk in Asian, okay, we'll do this, we'll do that, but they never follow up?
1: They've made a a long list of of promises, Jen. I mean, there's a thing called the ASEAN Economic Community, which is the aim to create a single market production base between the 10 countries and a Highly integrated and cohesive economy, as well. And within that, um, there are promises to remove non-tariff barriers, to simplify customs procedures, to harmonize standards amongst themselves, to put in place things that the right bedrocks to develop the digital economy in the region. Um, some people might say the promises that have been made uh, were a bit too much for them to take on. Uh, progress has been slow, partly because the ASEAN way, working through consensus. Nothing wrong with that. That means you all are all moving together, um, but it also means you tend to be moving at the pace of the slowest country. Um, have they delivered? No. Consistently, we, we do a survey every year of European industry in the region. That survey consistently shows that we all think ASEAN economic community is moving far too slow, that non-tariff barriers to trade, something that they're meant to be eliminating are actually on the increase they're not decreasing, um, so I think there's a lot of work to do. To be fair to ASEAN, actually, last year, despite the pandemic, some key milestones were hit by them in terms of um, the ASEAN single window customs, the ASEAN customs transit system, um, programs to allow companies to do self-certification for some areas. Um, so there was progress made, but a lot more needs to be done, and I think sleeves need to be rolled up, and particularly now. We're in this um, hopefully soon to be post-pandemic world, um, ASEAN needs to make sure that it uh, remains attractive to, for trade and investment in what's going to become an increasingly competitive landscape.
0: Awesome. Okay. Great. So what is ASEAN's biggest competitor? Is it China?
1: Um, I think everyone sees China as the, as the competitor. To use an American phrase as you have know, a largely American audience. China is their 800-pound gorilla in the room, and I think it will be for a very long time. Um, But it's not really ASEAN's competitor. I don't think ASEAN would see anyone being its competitor. They would see them as being complementary to other large trading groups, whether that's the US or the EU or China. Uh, ASEAN is very good at being the friend of all of them.
0: Okay, great. All right, so... I was wondering, right, which countries are the EU um, interested in trading in? Like, like, uh, do they have any particular um, liking, maybe Vietnam? Or do you have figures of which country uh, in Asia was had the most um, number of investments from the EU?
1: Well, in terms of FDI flows from the EU, about 80% of the FDI flows from the EU to Southeast Asia, land in Singapore first. And, and that's because Singapore is a a regional hub, a regional finance centre. Lots of European firms tend to have their treasury function sitting in Singapore. It doesn't mean the money stays here. That most of it doesn't. Most of it flows out from Singapore to elsewhere in the region. To, to answer your question, um, Vietnam is a bit of a darling at the moment, and that's partly because it has a, a newly minted FTA in place for the EU, and also because Vietnam is part of CPTPP and of course now part of RCEP um, and is showing some pretty progressive um, policies in terms of opening up for investments and has clearly positioned itself as a, an alternative to China when you're setting up manufacturing as well. So Vietnam very much in favor. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we, we do these surveys every year and I can tell you that the preliminary analysis for this year's one is showing that the markets which European firms are looking to expand more in are uh, Singapore and Vietnam at the top and then Thailand and Indonesia.
0: Okay, so what kind of sectors are we looking at? Are they food, manufacturing, auto manufacturing? What kind of sectors would these um, European Union companies want to set footprint in ASEAN?
1: Well, certainly when it comes down to expansion plans, the manufacturing sector as a whole, which is looking at it um, with more energy perhaps and more enthusiasm than the services sector. And on the manufacturing side, you know, we have large investments um, in things like um, uh, the automotive sector and our Michelin, for instance, done large investments in Indonesia in recent times. A lot of interest from the European industry in Southeast Asia, um, chemicals, petrochemicals, and then, of course, FMCG as well. I mean, this is a region which, as you know, loves its food, loves its consumer goods, and therefore, it's very attractive for European industry.
0: Okay, so even with COVID still, because you know in Indonesia COVID is really bad still and I'm not sure what's happening in Vietnam, Malaysia is quite bad as well. Mm. So they have still, they're still showing interest or they're just holding their horses first and then waiting, adopting a wait and see
1: kind of thing? Uh, uh, well, I think that's true for all industry. Uh, certainly last year there was certainly a feeling from many companies, not just European ones but others, that, you know, that's preserve our cash let's not make big investment decisions right now we don't know how this is going to pan out how it's going to last i think the recent spikes we've seen here in southeast asia and the situation in indonesia thailand vietnam and, and malaysia has been particularly bad uh, means that companies will hold off a bit it's difficult to make big investments when you're having difficulty traveling to countries seeing the issues in the ground meeting officials um meeting your partners it's hard to do everything over Zoom. you've got to actually see someone can shake their hands and see the place you're investing in. Um, so I think in that respect, we, we've all got to work hard, everyone, uh, private, public sector, to try and beat this pandemic. And the only way to do that actually is vaccine rollouts, getting more people vaccinated and then starting the process of reopening borders.
0: Awesome. Okay. So you were talking a lot about big businesses. I just wondered if there were any startups, uh, in European Union's, would want to, you know, have you dealt with startups? Because, you know, ASEAN, like you said, the workforce is very good. They are also very cheap. So, um, are they, um, do startups approach you for help?
1: Uh, we don't deal with SMEs or startups for the main part. We, we, we as an organization are dealing exclusively with large corporations. The European chambers do lots of work with smaller companies. We do get inquiries about, you know, what's the market like? Um, how can we access it Uh, and we'll try and direct them where we can. There is an awful lot of interest here in Southeast Asia for European business, both large and small. Um, And I think increasingly you'll see a lot more startups coming in from the digital space and also in the sustainability areas as well.
0: Okay, great. So tell me, uh, in terms of European Union countries, the top three countries that are interested to do business in ASEAN, are they... I, could, I, I think I can guess maybe German, France, and I don't know, the third one, you have to help me out here.
1: <laughs> if you're looking at money flows, the Netherlands would be in the top three. Uh, although, again, I don't think it's all Dutch money. A lot of that is moving under double taxation agreements. But yes, the, the, the Germans are extremely active. Um, they form actually the biggest grouping in our membership at the Business Council. Uh, the French and the Italians as well, very, very active, and the Dutch. And then outside of the EU, we're talking about broader Europe. Uh, Switzerland and the UK are also big players.
0: Yeah, so the UK has just come out of the EU. So, um, and you're British, I assume, right? Because you're you were working with them. So, how does that work? Like, do you still help the UK businesses? Because you know they're not part of EU actually right now. So,
1: so d- despite the name of the business council being the EU-ASEAN Business Council, we actually have members. From across Europe. Um, so members can come from the EU, the European free trade Area, like the Swiss or, and also any country which was part of the EU. So we still have a, a significant number of British headquartered companies, although I must say every single one of them has very large investments and interests in the EU as well.
0: You did say that there was a flattening of foreign direct investments coming into the region. So how much has there been a fall in the trade?
1: Actually, I think ASEAN trade last year surprisingly, because I think everyone was predicting a big dip in it, actually held up pretty well. So last year, I was surprised. I was running some numbers fairly recently for some meetings we've we got coming up, and the trade with Europe um, in 2020 actually increased slightly over 2019. The so trade with Europe um, in 2020 for ASEAN was above $250 uh, billion US dollars and that was an increase over what it was the year before when it was a shade under 250 billion. So surprisingly, <laughs> given the, the pandemic and all the lockdowns, trade held up pretty well from Europe to ASEAN last year.
0: Okay, great. That's great. So, um, this has got nothing to do with the Council, but I was just wondering, Do you, have you ever heard of the ASEAN having aspirations to have its own currency?
1: <laughs> uh, I've had questions about that almost every year for the last seven years doing this job. And the answer is no. And I would never see it coming either. For that to happen ASEAN would need to be a lot more closely aligned um, than it currently is. I would never see an ASEAN currency happening.
0: All right, great. And what about, you know, these tariffs things because, um, you know, ASEAN countries, right? Each of the government as like, a lot of them are problematic. Many of them are corrupted. So, you know, and you know, it's very different from the European Union where they are so systematic and they do things by the book. And um, does this come into as a challenge for any of your work?
1: There are certainly challenges. Uh, We have regularly cited customs procedures as being a big issue in the region. Um, I would say in my time doing this job, we have seen significant improvements with customs across Southeast Asia. They are more and more automating their procedures, which means the scope for extracurricular financial activity um, is getting less and less, and your companies are finding it easier. The rules are much clearer than they used to be. Um, there's still room for improvement. still a long way to go, but things have got better in that respect.
0: Okay. All right. For the final question, this is up to you if you want to answer. How do they? How do these um, businesses? Um, how do you charge them? Do you charge them from your, uh, like the membership, right? What is uh, how you, Is it a fixed fee monthly, or you charge them as a, as a, you know part of their whatever
1: they make in the region a cut you get from that? How does that work? It's a flat fee. It's a flat. It's a flat fee. It's a flat membership structure. It's an annual fee based on a calendar year. So you join, you're with us for the whole of the year, and you pay. everyone pays the same amount of money. It doesn't matter how big they are.
0: Oh, okay. It doesn't matter how big they are. Because some people, they would say, okay, if you make X amount, X amount, you pay this much. And if you make XXX, you pay that much. You know, the fees structured differently based on the revenue they make.
1: Yeah, that's certainly true with some trade associations. I've heard that based on either local or, or global turnover, the fee gets adjusted. But for us, no, it's a flat fee.
0: It's a flat fee. Alright, and it's going to be this council is going to be in around forever or well, is I hope so. class?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're going to be around forever. Certainly, I, I mean, I'm perfectly happy doing this job. Um, I hope my members are happy with me doing the job, so I intend to hang around. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in Southeast Asia. Um, there are more partnerships to be formed, there is more help and assistance we can give each other. Um, ASEAN needs its friends and its friends like us need ASEAN. So, as long as that's true, there will be a business council.
0: What about expansion plans for the council? Are you hiring or opening up new business uh, councils in the region?
1: Uh, We were always looking to expand, looking to add more members all the time. We had a new member yesterday actually. So when we get um, a few more members on board, we'll have more staff and then we'll expand our reach.
0: Awesome. All right. And that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking to Chris Humphrey, the Executive Director of EU ASEAN Business Council. Thank you, Chris, for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you, June. Very much enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Awesome. The pleasure is all ours. Be sure to join us next week where we aim to interview another awesome individual such as Chris. Thank you.